Hi there and welcome along to On The Whistle. I'm your host, Zayn Nabi. Sitting next to me is my man, Alistair Howard, our cross-platform reporter and new recruit in the CNN digital team. Ali, how are you doing? Yeah, doing well. Kind of excited to have started a new new job at CNN, but always more, far more excited to be back on the podcast. Exactly. He's not writing baseball. And if you don't believe me, go and follow him online. Uh, someone who we're used to hitting home runs on this podcast and at my 40th is Francis Inquain. Francis, where in the world are you? I'm actually in London, just stalking you, waiting for you outside of your house. <laughs> After all the tumbles I took during our baseball <laughs> Don't let Francis fool you. At my 40th birthday, uh, which was recently, we played over 40s versus under 40s. The over 40s won with Francis being one of the stars. He's actually a slugger. And boy, oh boy, he can run so quickly, he laps people while coming home. <laughs> I wish I had the video. But Francis, it's good to be here. We have a bite-sized pod today. So much to talk to, but so little time. We're going to get right into it. We're going to have two big talkers today. One being uh, Mo Salah and what's going on with his form at Liverpool. And the second one being on the final Confederations and CAF Champions League ahead of the Super League next year. So some good topics for us to get into. We can really sit here and spitball for a long time, but we're going to try to condense it and keep it concise for you. So to start off with, we have our friend of the show, Ahmed Youssef, also the editor of kingfoot.com. He starts off by giving us his analysis on Mohamed Salah and what he thinks is going on with the Egyptian king at Liverpool. Take a listen to this. So Mo Salah's had a lot of criticism this season. Um, he's only scored two goals out in the first six games, which is the slowest start for him uh, in the Premier League. Now, um, some people are saying that you know the increase in his uh, in his wages has led to him being a bit more relaxed and and that he's not really bothering to play now he's got that big that big uh, wage increase and the new contract um some are saying that he's being placed out of position on out wide and he's not receiving um the the, the ball as much but i mean i've been looking around and uh, you know his his wide position is kind of you know if you look at some heat maps it's where he's predominantly been over the last couple of years anyway so he's not necessarily playing much wider than he has and um i'm starting to think that you know uh, him and look at Son, for example, is, strugg- is struggling this season. Son's not even scored a single goal yet, and they were both the joint Ballon d'Or winners. Uh, sorry, the joint top goal scorers last season. So, uh, it, I think there's there's a case of um, you know defenders really studying them very well. You know, Son and and Salah, um, and and trying to stop them from scoring. We also have to add the fact that um, you know Liverpool have lost Mane, and and they definitely look like a weaker side without him. He did a lot of the hard work. He was. Very creative player. A lot of people don't, you know, they underestimate Mane's creativity, um, and it's clear that Salah and Liverpool as a whole are lacking that. Um, and I think it's actually a Liverpool problem, really, as a whole. They kind of seem to have lost their identity. That that high gain press isn't working as well, um, because they seem to be struggling defensively. And I think they're actually um, not being as as great in 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 attack, and they're not being. Um, as threatful when they go forward because they know that they're very vulnerable now. And we saw, you know, Van Dijk struggling this season as well. So it's not just him. I think there's a number of, of players in that Liverpool squad struggling. Um, and as a whole, that's that's a real concern for Liverpool. And let's not forget, despite all of this, I think he's actually been playing quite well, um, generally. So that was Ahmed Youssef giving us his breakdown on Mohamed Salah's slow start to the se- season. Um, Francis, I know you have a hot take on this. What do you think? What is the Egyptian king getting wrong? Um, I think it's a bit tough to lay the blame at uh, Salah's door for Liverpool's 
at this moment. Um, I think, okay, it's the start of the season. Um, like Anna points out, if you look at a player like Sun, who was a joint um, top goal scorer, uh, the season gone, um, he too hasn't hit form. It's, sometimes it, it takes time to get going when it's also new personnel. I think the, the challenge at Liverpool has less to do, or the challenge with Salah has less to do with how much money he's making and more the necessity of maybe building new automatisms with the new personnel that they have. Um, it's pretty much at times a new front three, uh, bar the suspension that came the way of Nunez, for example. Um, technically it's uh, Diaz and it's it's him and it's, I mean, there there's a new dynamic there. And then you have this real challenge in Liverpool now, which is in the middle of the park. Um, but I will say something that comes from the heart, less from the head. Um, I think Mane, Liverpool should have fought harder to keep Mane at the club because he hey, brings more than, brings more than goals. Yes. It's like, and I found it kind of shocking that um, it's like having a Messi wanting to leave a club and you just go, okay. Um, that's how it almost felt because he is that to us as Africans. He is that to football. Mm. And he didn't leave to go to some Mickey Mouse club. A Bayern Munich is fighting tooth and nail to get him. And Liverpool almost seemed a bit nonchalant about it. And mm. I'm not saying it's an either or between him or Salah. I'm saying just fight a little bit more to keep the guy. And that's one of the reasons why he continued his journey. Because I think he also felt underappreciated where he was. Because he is more than goals. So Salah, I'm not jumping on a bandwagon to punish him or to criticize him or anything i think he'll hit his stride he is playing well um he just isn't scoring goals he's hit the post i think a couple of times he's had at least seven year misses um so it's not a question of whether he's he's out of form he's just not maybe hitting the net as often as he should but i think that will come when he builds the partnerships that are necessary and he understands and again even the point uh Ammon makes about him playing out on the right that's where Mane used to play when he just came to the club before Salah arrived. And he was one who moved out left to accommodate Salah at the right. But there was a fluidity to their game. And I think they will find it again. And he will come to Trumps. And I'll be happy if Salah's doing well at Liverpool. And Mane's doing great at Bayern. But most importantly, that uh, the midfield never gets sorted. And Liverpool then don't even qualify for Europa League. Now, Francis. You know Courtney's not here to defend his team, but spoil red devil, we expect nothing more. I will say this, Mohamed Salah's played a lot of football this season. He's at the AFCON, he's at the World Cup qualifiers. He's gone deep with uh, Liverpool on many fronts. Um, maybe a break over the World Cup will help him. Alistair, what's your hot take? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a couple of things. I think, firstly, I agree with Ahmed in terms of, I don't think he's playing it that badly. I mean, I saw, I saw a stat the other day that he... He's actually the most, he's created the most goal-scoring chances in the Premier League, I think by almost 10 more than the mm. next. And, you know, this is a league where, you know, we've been celebrating like Kevin De Bruyne and these players who are incredibly creative. And meanwhile, Salah, who's getting a lot of criticism, has actually created more chances than De Bruyne. And, and, is, mm. and so, yeah, I think, you know, he, he's not playing in the ruthless way in which he has done, but I think he's not playing terribly. But, but the other thing I would say that I, I feel like hasn't really been picked up on it by a lot of people is I think we don't appreciate the weight that has been on this man's shoulders. Like, mm -hmm. A, playing for Klopp over the last however many years, this intense football, 
getting to Champions League finals. And then, yeah, this last season, he played every single game possible. You know, mm. only only Sadio Mane played as much as him because no one else had to play in AFCON as well as playing every mm. single Premier League, Champions League, League Cup, FA Cup, you know. But I think as well as something we really underestimate, particularly when we're here in the UK, is 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 the kind of climate in which he comes from. You know, the, the stat that I always find really funny is who's the most followed player in Arsenal's team on their social media. You know, when you have all these big, it's Mohamed El Neni. And that's because Egypt is just a crazy, crazy football country. So you're telling me it's not Ahmed Yusuf. Well, I tell you, Francis and I are stumped by that one. <laughs> exactly. Completely <laughs> shocked. Um, and, and I think Egypt, along with, I, I would say, a few other countries in the world, I would throw in your Nigerias, you know, your Brazils, your Argentinas. You know, I would say there's just a few countries in this bracket of football crazy nation mm-hmm. that also have massive a population but b kind of social media following mm. where the weight of has been so much on salah and particularly in this egyptian context because you know he's arguably and almost inarguably egypt's best ever player mm-hmm. but he he doesn't have that mantle he hasn't been able to take it from the likes of abu trika because he's never won an afcon and and this entire year was about him building up to that afcon and you know, playing with one of the worst Egyptian yep. sides. Let's let's face it, carrying this Egyptian mm-hmm. side first to the World Cup in 2018, then to the AFCON final. You know, let's remember how poor of a team they were really and how they kind of just bullied their way past better teams like Morocco and Cameroon. Apologies, Francis. Um, <laughs> I understand. But, and then to, to lose that and to lose the World Cup qualifier against the same team in the same way on penalties, it does not get worse than that. Mm. And and I think, like you were saying about the World Cup, this guy needs a break. Like, he needs a rest. He needs a sabbatical. And the problem is, you know, if you're Pep Guardiola, if you're a coach, you can take that sabbatical. If you're a player, you can't because you've mm. got that narrow window where you can actually play. And so I think I think there's an element of, you know, and as well as, you know, this was one of the shortest summers we've ever seen in terms of rest mm. because of the World Cup. So he didn't even get a summer to rest fully. So I think there's that. I think it's something that we really underestimate when we're not when we're not in Egypt or in one of these countries where the kind of pressure, you know, we've seen similar stuff with Neymar. The pressure of playing mm. for Brazil is too much. And and I think that's a huge thing. I think Sal, he, he just needs a, he needs a quick break. He needs a rest because the skill is there. The talent is there. The drive is there. But, you know, maybe his, you know, his mind more than anything, just he needs some rest. He needs a break. And then he can get going, going with your argument, therefore, you're actually agreeing that he's not up to form? Yeah, I, th- I think that's what I would say is I think I think he's, you know, A, I, I would say, you know, his drop in form hasn't been particularly this season as much as we think it is. But I do think we look at this last calendar year since the AFCON, particularly what's been lacking mm. is that ruthlessness. You know, we, we have well, I understand. What I'm trying to say is that going with your argument, therefore, mm-hmm. he needs pressure to be on top of his game because now he doesn't have it because they're not <laughs> going to walk up. Nobody's expecting anything of him. He should uh-huh. then be scoring more. But you're well, saying well, when he doesn't have pressure, he doesn't perform. Well, more, I think, when you have that kind of pressure on you for, for X amount of years, then you need the break. Um, but it's true. it's true. It's true. You know, now he has no excuse. <laughs> and, and what I will think we'll see, you know, maybe we'll have hindsight in this, is to see how does he play after the World Cup. Sure. Because, you know, he'll come back, you know, and, and, and I think that's why this year is really unique because you have, well, you'll have players like him or, Holland and, and players who are elite athletes and who will get the break that they need, you know, and, and the break that a lot of these other players yeah. won't get. Um, and the goal is to 
peak for the Ivory Coast, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's very true. And, and, and it's a beautiful thing and a great point you make because especially in this league where we find ourselves here in the Premier League where we happen to be geographically located, we've never had this December break. A case has always been made for how it can't be had. So now it's not December. It will happen in November and touch a little bit of December till the 16th. But I think an argument will be made for the coming couple of years afterwards about just how beautiful the football will be afterwards. Mm. Because I think the players, a lot of players will not be going to the World Cup. The vast majority of the towns will not be going to the World Cup. So they will be taking a break. And it would be interesting to find out what the clubs will be doing to maintain the fitness of their players. Uh, they haven't really explained what the downtime is really going to look like. Um, everybody's focused about on the players who are going. Um, but there'll be a whole lot of players who won't be. Will they be allowed to return to their home countries? Uh, what's the diet going to be like when you get back home? Um, and you're supposed to be ready to go come the 17th of December with a supercharged uh, schedule that might now be carrying another two weeks of fixtures that are being taken off since we lost our cream mm-hmm. over here. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, listen, this was meant to be a bite size. It's now going to turn into a full podcast. And you know why? Because we have some fantastic talkers around this pride. So if you're listening and if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead, post a comment below. Tell us what you think. Tell us whether you think Mohamed Salah is in bad form. If he is, why is he? If he isn't and we're being too critical, tell us why. You can tweet us. Hit us up on our, uh, our, our, on Instagram too. Um, the account is the same, OTW underscore podcast. And on Facebook, come and talk to us. It's the On The Whistle podcast and also the very same handle for YouTube. And if you haven't heard it, On The Whistle podcast. So let's hear from you. We love it. We love the debate. We love the discussion. We love the bands. Um, and now we're going to transition from... Europe to Africa. We have the last edition of the um, Confederations and CAF Champions League uh, taking place. This is before the Super League, the African Super League comes into effect next year, which is hopefully going to strengthen our football on the continent, give us a product that we can market, um, and also um, give our players a better platform to to play and perform. At least that is the hope of, of CAF and uh, those backers from FIFA and the other stakeholders. Um, Alistair, w- we've seen the, the uh, African Super Cup already take place. Um, very exciting football uh, to look forward to. Yeah, I think I think yeah, we saw we saw what a great product we, we do have on the continent in the game between Burkan and, and Widad. And I mean, obviously, there was so much controversy in the round of the Champions League final about being in Morocco. But, you know, one of the perks of having two teams from the same country playing in the in uh, winning both the Champions League and Confederations Cup is that means you've got a great super, sure. super cup. And it was it was, uh, you know, a game not super ed- entertaining in the goal in the, you know, the fashion in terms of getting goals. But I think it was a really exciting game, certainly if you're watching it. Um, but, yeah, no, I just I think it's, you know, one of the things this is one of my favorite times of year is. You know, and one of the things I'm really sad we'll be missing once once we transition to the Super League is the preliminary qualifiers for the Champions League and Confederations mm-hmm. Cup. Because this is when you get, you know, the proper teams from all over the continent playing mm-hmm. each other. And, you know, you have the biggest stars. I mean, we've had Pizzo Mosimane on this podcast and, you know, complaining about going to Tanzania and being given potato pitches to play on. And, <laughs> you know, there, there's elements of that where I just love where you can get these upsets. And, you know, even already we've seen some teams, you know, Al-Hilal, lost their first leg against St. George's, you know, mm. an iconic club from Ethiopia, which you know hasn't been 
in the Champions League for, you know, six or seven years now. Um, and, you know, the, the, you know, the return leg is still this weekend. You know, we saw Gaborone, Gaborone from, from Botswana uh, beating AS Vita, another giant. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, and the biggest clubs haven't even been introduced yet because they obviously come in the second round. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's exciting football. You know, it's a shame because I think this is one of the areas where we see why the Super League is being introduced because the product is so, you know, I don't know, disjointed, you know, mm -hmm. there's not easy ways to watch all the games. We don't have broadcasters connected with them. And that's why the Super League wants mm -hmm. to be involved. But it's also a shame because we, we're going to start losing out on some of these amazing ties. And and some of them are, you know, are incredibly, you know, important, not just from an entertainment standpoint from the small teams, but also the fact that they can they can qualify. It's competitive. You know, we saw Juan and Galaxy last season mm. qualify for the Champions League, you know, knocking out Simba, a huge club in the process and, you know, giving a real good account of themselves in a really tough group. Um, and so, I, you know, I think it's it's really exciting yeah, for me personally i love i love this time of year just watching watching some of these games um so i'm, I'm excited for it you know zane i could listen to allison for hours his knowledge of of continental soccer is without par for real it truly is you know <laughs> but i'm speaking to the point you raised in which way i do think it's uh, i don't consider it a sad um occasion personally i think it's just a new chapter I've always been an advocate for a Pan-African League, as is, is you can vouch. Um, it's been something I've believed in to the very core of my being in terms of lifting the quality of, of the proposition that is entertainment and football as a business on our continent. But I also believe that within the format um, that is being worked on, and let's acknowledge that it's still being fine-tuned, it's not been finalized, there is an acceptance that there has to be opportunities beneath that Super League, to encourage whether it's how people qualify, but to encourage these opportunities where lesser teams uh, are able to challenge some of the more established teams. And this speaks a little bit to what Arsene Wenger was uh, speaking about uh, a few days back um, when he was talking about um, FIFA's commitment to assisting the African space in terms of the quality of coaching. Uh, because and, and not just the coaching, I mean, like the proposition that is football as a business on the continent, how the clubs are run, uh, how talent is discovered, how talent is coached, how talent is kept on the continent, uh, the need for finance, the need for support with the women's game, with club football, uh, all the things that come into this ecosystem that makes its way to the very top that eventually will become that super league. So I think we have an opportunity starting next year to begin to build a new model that maybe could have us have a better and more enjoyable experience because then Pizzo will speak less of these potato fields where we have in games played. And we know presidents of clubs who had challenges just being able to meet the international requirements. So they'd have a game against a team in Egypt and they don't even know where they begin to get there. There are no flights between the countries there or the flight itinerary might take you 48 hours to go over maybe a thousand kilometers which should have just maybe been a, a two and a half hour flight even if it was by a twin otter but it's these kind of things that are informing the creation of the super league but informing that ecosystem that sits underneath it and i think we all have a part to play in that reality not just its narrative because the experience of somebody like Elsa, his ability to understand some of these dynamics is so rare. So when I hear him speak, it's a true honor to be a part of On the Whistle, 
to know that we have talent like this who understands some of these teams that are not household names in mm -hmm. world football. And they can become if we have the coaching right, if we have the logistics right, if we have the talent right. We've never questioned the passion we have for the game. Now let's just build the structures that can bring the passion to the fore next to professional setups that can take it and make it sustainable for another generation. Now, Arsene Wenger said to the African Football Business Show, um, in his capacity as FIFA's chief of global football development, that the first move a player from Africa to Europe is the cheap one. The first move is on average 300,000 euros. But the second move of an African player from a European club to another European club is on average about 3 million euros. That is 10 times more. Francis, with this new product, with this new proposition, do you see that gap of, um, do you see the, 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 the player moving from Africa to Europe or Africa to the MLS or wherever mm -hmm. in the beautiful world they go? Do you see the monetary value of that player going up by virtue of simply creating a better competition? I know it sounds like an obvious it's, question. No, no, no. I, I want to push in on it. The, the, the truth is the, um, the power is in the simplicity of the thought. It's the fact that even when he starts at 300,000, if in a year you have 10 players who leave Africa for 300,000, that's an exceptional year. The truth is closer to the 30,000 euro mark is what a player would move for. And more often than not, you'd find players paying for the opportunity or clubs paying for the opportunity mm. for the talent to exhibit their, their talent abroad. Now, if we're able to add value, and that's the basis of what he was talking about, the justification for prices is rooted in value. So if they don't value the coaching, if the system doesn't value the coaching you've received, doesn't value your technical ability, then the argument can always be made that we're giving you an opportunity you would not have otherwise. If you have opportunity, like if you go, um, as I mentioned, uh, St. George's, St. George's don't sell many players a year because their players can stay at St. George's in Ethiopia and earn five, 10, $15,000 a month at home, playing the football that they do love, with the lifestyles that they want, and they have the facilities and the great coaching. Now, they might have personal ambition. Now, if you accompany that with the lesser clubs, like if I come to the winners of the league in Cameroon was uh, PWD, remember, they had a challenge with how they could fulfill their international requirements, but they had their supporters. They reached out to their fan base. They have a dynamic president who reached out to his fan base and the supporters raised money for them a team bus. And, but that's a dynamic team trying to, I don't know, like catch their tail, if you know what I mean. But what they're trying to do, what Arsene Wenger is suggesting here is building a lot more solid foundations at club levels that allows then these clubs to be able to compete alongside all the other marketplaces in the world. Because if you were buying a player out of South America today, it used to be the case that you could go to South America and get an Argentinian player, not for cheap, but a reasonable price. A Brazilian player, because they're a diamond dozen. But no Brazilian players leaving Brazil today into the European League less than a million USD. But that's because they've understood the importance of adding value. Mm -hmm. If you remember one of the conversations we were talking about Neymar, and I said, it took three years for him to move because the club was able to say, we can keep you and you can meet your immediate needs at present 
and we can add enough value onto you so the club is handsomely rewarded. That's where the African clubs need to move to. And that's what some of us in this game have been fighting for. It's not about one club or one nation. It's about a marketplace that is one billion strong. Just being able to have a seat at the table because everybody else is benefiting from it but the African continent. So whether it's player compensation or training compensation, the fees are rosary, and that's why people don't really have a respect for the African space. So I think it's a good initiative and we look forward to it. Yeah, and, and I, I I love what you say about the marketing, right? Because I think that's a really interesting thing is even if we don't, even if the product itself isn't necessarily improved, because I think the product is actually a lot better than it looks, the marketing is what needs to be done. I mean, I was looking just earlier today, I was looking at the kind of requirements that this new point system that, that Premier League has. Um, and, and in the UK, we have now post-Brexit for allowing players to come in. And, and I think there's a lot of problems with it. Uh, I think because I, A, it was kind of introduced to be like, okay, we're closing down the EU market, but mm -hmm. now you can look abroad. And one thing that they did is they they upgraded the Copa Libertadores and Sudamericana and introduced a few other South American leagues to the point-based system. So essentially now, if you're a Brazilian, and we saw this with Julian Alvarez, is now you can go straight to England. So you can yeah. be signed and, from, and from, from River Plate. To your point, Alistair, forgive me for this, but you make a point that I have to plead to Zane. One day we must yeah. talk about this. Because it's true. We, had, we were working on two options of young Cameroonian players who are on a team that's... 38th in, in, in the FIFA rankings, World Cup bound, they're under 25, like this, and they don't get the points. Like they play for their national team, but they're like at nine. Yeah. And I was like, excuse me? And I didn't even realize they had done an extra review afterwards. Somehow it slipped my radar. And then I looked back and you're like, whoa, I thought this thing was supposed to level the playing field. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter if you were from the EU, everybody would be on the same. And if your country was doing well, then you'd be, and it doesn't apply to us. Yeah, but, and exactly. And and there's no African uh, league is yeah. on is on that system. You have like the Chilean league. And like, again, I, I don't know loads about Chile, but there's no way that it is a stronger and more financially strong than the PSL, for instance. Or the Pola Pro, you know, like like you were talking about St. George's people being uncomfortable. You know, in South Africa, we have players on good, good. In fact, it's usually a criticism because they get too comfortable yeah. and they don't want to move. You can earn about 300,000 yeah. US dollars. Exactly. And the fact that that isn't, and, and, and so then the CAF Champions League is below, it's in the category of any other continental competition. It's not even mentioned. And, and, and I think that it's so frustrating because you have so many players who play in the CAF Champions League who who just don't have those options. And, and you know, that's an easy example in England. And, you know, obviously there's other countries that you can move to, but it's the same issue around perception. Because I think, you know, I'm, I'm generally very, very critical of the Super League, but I do think that it, it holds a, a kind of a potential where if you, if you can actually present this polished, marketable kind of product is finally you can you can force these countries that are making life difficult for African players, coaches. You know, we've spoken so much about like people like Pizzo not having the pathways, but if you can give them a, you know, you essentially put them in a position where they have no reason to deny yeah. Africans yeah. to come. And I think that's one thing that potentially is exciting and, and is really speaking to what about a lot about what Arsene Wenger is saying is once you can improve not only the product, but the way in which we present the product, is you can start to say, actually, no, we're worth mm. more than this. We're not worth 300K. We're worth 3 million. You know, we're, we, you know, you can't deny, you know, a player like Taiwo Aoyini 
you know, being having to go to Liverpool and be loaned somewhere else because he's, you know, not, sure. not good enough or not good enough. And yet now is playing, you know, regular time for Nottingham Forest and played for, you know, Union Berlin for a couple of years. You know, we want that's And I think that's the thing that we really need to look for, both from a kind of product standpoint, but also, like you said, friends, that marketing saying, you know, look, we have this amazing product. You can't deny us anymore. You can't stop us. And I promise you that will be a future podcast. So that is a good one to put on the back burner. The bra has been absolutely cracking. It's been exciting. I said we didn't have a lot of time. We've made a lot of time because this is how a bra works. <laughs> as much time as we need to talk about our issues, to ventilate them, to discuss, to disagree, and to have great banter. Francis, Alistair, it's been fantastic here talking to you about this. And my parting shot is this. Al-Akhli, for the last two years, have won bronze at FIFA's Club World Cup. <laughs> if that does not warrant... Our brothers in Egypt with their league um, and our competitions being taken more seriously. I don't know what will is. We are a megaphone for our people. We are a megaphone for our continent. And we will use the space to help shape and change that. And again, thank you for those listening out there. Um, it's been fantastic. It's been good banter. Um, and uh, we can't wait to meet around the bra again. And if you've come this far, you better leave a rating and a review. And you better tell us how much you miss... Courtney Freeze, the Spirit Cup winner for the last three years. Sorry, sure Courtney had something to say. Sorry, could you say that again, Francis? I'm sure Courtney had something to say. <laughs> he, he always does. He, he always not, does. He he always does. He said something about defenders doing really well or defenders being exceptional. It's not like it's not like he wasn't a defender, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was asking him if that applied to the Liverpool defense as well. <laughs> Gentlemen, a pleasure. Thanks, guys. <laughs>